But if I can look at someone else and say, if I look like this and people don't know what I've been through, what did that little girl go through? What did that boy go through? Yeah, this man is yelling at his daughter, but what did he go through? So when you start to Ladies look and gentlemen, to say, exactly. welcome to the Ultimate Freedom Podcast. This is conversation number six. And I know it's been a while and I'm glad to be back. And today I am bringing on a young champion within our community. Her name is Denisha Davis. We definitely have to give her her flowers today because people that dedicate their lives to helping others and being active in this human experience. Hear what I said. Being active in this human experience deserve our praise. In this conversation, Denisha speaks on some of the nuances in social work, the good and the not so good and how we um, people like you and I can also be champions within our communities by taking the necessary sacrifices in our lives to be a major impact in someone else's. So without further ado, let's go ahead and drop that intro. Welcome to the Ultimate Freedom Podcast. Ultimate Freedom Podcast. Uncensored, unrestricted. He talks about whatever, whenever, and however he wants. Your host, Jamare Clarington. Most Bakuma, baby. Let's begin. Welcome to the Ultimate Freedom Podcast, Denisha. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like we took so long to do this. It's I feel like I'm on a roller coaster. I I I do as well. I I think it's one, it's your fault, but we're not gonna talk about that. We can. What we're going to talk about is the life of a social worker. And that's why it took me so long to get on here to talk about all this stuff. Okay. Well, so talk about your origin. Like what got you into social work? What has been your story so far as far as the development of you coming out of, how long have you been out of high school so far? Like 30 years? How long? Don't even start that. It's been nine (laughs) years. Nine years now. Okay. Next year would be our tenure. Yeah, but um, so initially I was going into law because that's every Haitian parent's dream. So I was going into law school and. Hold on. Let's stop right there. Um, Let's stop right there. You're Haitian? Yes. A lot of people, people have tried to discredit me being Haitian, but <laughs> I'm very Haitian. So um, yeah, so that's all a Haitian parent's dream is for children to go to law school or nursing school. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so crazy because I remember we had spring break like 2014 and we were in Texas and I had this joke where we were driving to go get drinks and the person was driving kind of crazy and I was like, make sure you guys drive straight and everyone was like, we know you're going to law school because <laughs> it was something that I always said all the time and then fast forward to 2016, um, Mother's Day, I was at a person's graduation party Mm-hmm. And literally, I keep calling it an accident, but it was an accident. I have to sum it up really quickly. I was assaulted, and I a, a man picked me up and threw me on my face, and I had like gashes on my the right side of my face. My lip was busted. My my front teeth were broken, and this was thirty six hours before I graduated from from BC. And it was insane. So fast forward to my lawsuit, the attorney literally looked at me. He goes, Nisha, I think you're a nice person. But he goes, unfortunately, you didn't have any brain damage. I can't do this lawsuit. 
when he told me that, I was like, unfortunately, I don't have any brain damage because my teeth broke my fall. So if I fell forward, oh it would have been my head and I would have had a head injury. But because my teeth took my fall, so it's so funny that now everyone talks about my teeth. I'm like, I got dentures. Like, <laughs> <laughs> this top row is porcelain, okay? So I smile all the time. So anyway, it just it just shook me. And I was like, I don't want to go into law. Like, you have there has to be a victim in law at all times. Like, there needs to be a loss. So if I'm representing you, you have to have a loss of something. There's nothing I can really help. I'm not preventing anything. And I just realized that who I was at that time needed that humbling moment. I needed that shift. And I just like ran into social work, um, a former friend of mine. So you needed to crack your teeth. Is that what you're saying? I feel like, yeah, because, you know, (laughs) like God knows he knows his daughter and he knows I can be stubborn. And to be very frank, I was just going into law for the wrong reasons. Like, okay. I had this mentality thinking that when you go into law, you're advocating for someone. Yeah, but let's say you have a year. Cases take a long time. And if I was, you know, that public defender, you have 30, 50 people on your case. That's why people are getting, I'll talk about that a little bit later, but that's why people get pushed into taking, agree, you know, um, agreements that they don't even want to take. But mm-hmm. all in all, I was like, you don't have to be an attorney to advocate for somebody. It doesn't make any sense. So when I saw what social work was, I was like, oh, it, they aren't baby snatchers. That was my view of social work. Baby they were baby snatchers. snatchers. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, you still babies. You're a social worker. That was what I thought it, it was all about. But um, yeah, after I got a good idea what social work was, I started to look at their programs at FAU. I did my undergrad at FAU, got my BSW there. I'm currently at Liberty University getting my master, yeah, getting my master's in public administration mm. uh, management for nonprofit and for profit. So I kind of did like a big summary, but I'm going to go into those things a little later. But um, yeah, that's where I am. That's how I got that shift from law to social work. People always go, what? <laughs> when they find out <laughs> I'm a social worker. But I'm like, yeah, I'm a social worker. I'm about that action, okay? So, yeah. So I guess the one of the questions that I have is, what is it exactly um, that social workers do? So all in all, social work, its core values is service, social justice, you know, the worth of the person. Mm-hmm. Because I can meet you and you can be a dad and your kids are taken away from you. Something, social work, it's, to me, it's, there's, I literally cannot put in words. Social work is in every part of life. You can go to a car dealership. You can go to a park, a library, no matter what, there's social work there. They just call it different things. So it's mainly about the worth of a person. So even though you've had your kids taken away and you're trying to get them back, the law believes if we give you the right services, we can remedy that issue. So we can say, okay, let's, let's implement family strengthening for Jamari. So you know, Jamari got his kids taken away because he can't pick them up on time. Give him respite, give him, um, give you after school care programs on a sliding scale. So you won't have to pay for it because you might be a single dad and you might just have your four kids. There's always an underlying issue why something happened. It's very gray. 
nothing is back in work in social work unless an egregious act happened. What is, what is that? Egregious act is always like extreme abuse or sexual abuse. So if a child comes home with an STD, your child is being taken away. That's period. If the child goes to school and it's, and it's like a visible mark or like, um, if little Denisha comes to school and I have like, for example, if I came to school, how I looked that day that I got my face broken, parents are parents. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 you know, you don't have your kids anymore. And it's not a comical thing. It's just something that I experienced. And I, that's how I grieve with it. What happened mm-hmm. to me is I turn it into, you know, it's my own comic really. But um, social work, what I've learned in my four years going on is I like, I hear people say a lot that social work is a bridge. I feel like that's a cop out because to say it's a bridge is you're insinuating that person even wants to go over that bridge. And what's a bridge? I can jump off the bridge and I can go off the guardrails. I can be hanging off. To me, social work is a speed bump where we know something's going to happen. We just want to slow it down. We want to make sure the loss is as least as possible. Mm. So prime, another example, I'll give you my own life. Um, there was a period where my entire family was homeless and it was uh, an economic type of homelessness where it was situational. So it wasn't that we were raised that way, but it was a situation where the comedy went down. So my siblings were all two years apart. So my sister was 15, it was 15, 13, 11, nine, seven, and five. I was nine and homeless, but no one would look at me and think that. Like I went to private school with all my Caucasian friends and my plaid uniform. No one had any idea. And wow. something like that, in my mind, I thought if a social worker found out that we were living in a motel, you know, two parents and six kids, they would have took all six of us away and we would have been scattered. Right. So when you have a situation like that, you tend to go, how could we remedy that situation? So even if all six of us, we all have different perspectives of how we endure that homelessness. Like the five-year-old, he's just kind of like, oh, this is sweet life of Zach and Cody. Like he doesn't even notice. <laughs> he doesn't notice. Yeah. But the old, my oldest sister, she took the brunt of it because she had the most sense. She was most aware. She was 15. You know, she, you know, she was yeah. 17. Like she was in high school, you know. She really noticed, like, wow, my family has experienced homelessness. Meanwhile, preparing for um, high school graduation. So I'm saying all that to say none of that is going to be the same for all six of those kids, not to mention for the parents. So even if the family is enduring homelessness, you don't want them to say, you may be homeless, but you're not hungry. So what, as a social worker, what can you do to make it not sting so much? To say a bridge would be my mom being of Haitian descent they're prideful. They're not going to want your services. But if you just say, hey, mom, here's this gift card. Or, hey, let me help you apply for food stamps. That's social work. Mm-hmm. It isn't, and it, for some reason, I don't know what about the word social work gives that people that, that sting where they're kind of like, you know, like, I don't know, like, it's just a weird sentiment sometimes. And it's just like, you're assisting somebody. And whether you want to call it that or not, you're still going to help that person. So. I really, I haven't really found anyone that can explain to me why there's that sting or that stench. Because I feel like yeah, it's that, stench, that that, that stigma know? attached to that. Yeah. To that uh, vocation, I don't know either. And I remember we had a discussion as we were trying to do this before. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh- <laughs> uh, and you were saying that you were saying that there are so many other 
names associated uh, with social work as far as social work being the umbrella, but what you guys do, everyone has a different name within within that field. Mm -hmm. Um, Like even right now, I have two where it's still social work, but it's not called social work. Like right now, I know you want to talk about like solutions towards the end, but I just want to bring up one of my main points is guarding at litem. Guardian at litem, guardian at litem is like the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. And it's basically where children are, children are property of the state. If you turn your kids over right now and say, I don't want them, the state's going to take them. They're going to give those children a trust. They're going to have, they can go to college for free. They're going to have a trust, like I mentioned, they have life insurance. Um, and what happens if they're given a guardian? That's me. So I, Denisha, I'm going to come to Jamari and say, Jamari, where do you go to school? I now go to school with you to get your report card. I go to get your IE plan. I can go get your medical records. I can go to the dentist and say, is Jamari getting his teeth checked? I can go make sure of all those things. I can go medically and see when's your last physical? Does he have this? Does he have that? Another example, I have a case right now where I have a nine-year-old who has an STD. And she has an STD from a sibling. Wow. So now that's a case for the state and she has a guardian. And it's like, how do you walk that child through life? Like mm. how, like when she's my age, I'm 27 and I'm going on being married for four years. When she's 27 and that man's coming up to her, is he going to say, you know, what's your life been like? Or how many people or you know, ask her, Hey, are you a virgin? What, it, what can she really think about herself? She didn't cause that to happen, but you know what I mean? So it's kind of like, that's why I said the analogy about the speed bump is that you know it's going to come, but you want to basically uplift that child from a young age and get them to reframe. That's my idea of social work is reframing those situations they run into because life happens at you. You want your child to have grit. You want them to be able to have resolve and still go through life even after something happens. But it's like, how do you equip them with that? So guardian litem helps that because you can be a volunteer. You right now, by law right now for guardian, now that COVID happened, you have to visit children twice a month. It used to just be once a month. So you're literally asking volunteers for two hours of their one month to volunteer and be in one child. That's life. You might have court four times a year if it's a place in case where they're trying to replace the child, it can be court for three years. But all in all, guardian litem is my favorite thing because you can have a complete life and be in as much children's lives as you see fit. Mm-hmm. Guardian litem, what it does is when you lose your children or a child is given up to adoption, a child's in foster care, they are giving a guardian litem. And a guardian litem has to be attached to a child within 48 hours. So let's play a scenario. If, okay, right now, well, my mom and dad have six kids. So if they were across the street and you called and you said, hey, I see this mom sleeping in this car with her kids. It's a bunch of them in there. This is not safe. They, you call an abuse report and they're going to have to validate whether it's an actual report. They're going to have to see if it meets the criteria. They're going to say, thanks for calling it in. We accept your claim. You hang up. They come. The CPI comes and they, the child protective investigator, they come and they assess. That's their job. You do the call as a civilian. They come and they assess. They take us. 
they now have 24 hours each and every one of us have to have a guardian item it often might be that they'll have all six of us that's a more of a heavier load but they might break us up that's six kids now that i'm aware of this there is a place in coconut creek called SOS Children's Village, and its whole sole mission is to keep siblings together. So instead wow. of me being in Dade, two sisters in Naples, they would have a little cul-de-sac community where it's so crazy because when you go in that community, you see a bunch of Dodge vans. So every time I see a Dodge van, like my heart kind of lights up because I'm like, that might be a foster family because the state puts the foster parents in the home and then they give them the Dodge van and then the siblings stay in that house or in my scenario, it was three boys, three girls. So my three brothers would have been in that house down the street and my three sisters, us girls would have been down there. They would have kept us together. Okay. So you as a volunteer could have come in and say, hey, you know, I have four kids of my own. My kid, I can only handle two kids. They would give you two kids where you would do what? You're basically their parent for six hours of a month, of a month. Now due to COVID, they switched the law where you no longer, they now, they now put a mandate where you have to see them twice a month. So from the 1st to the 15th, then to the 16th to the 30th or 31st. So it's two visits per month. And you just literally assess them. So you see, okay, is Denisha wearing clothes? How is she? You go check the microwave. You check the fridge. You check my room. You check, do I have my own bed? You check for toothbrushes. You check to see... Things like that, like how many so shoes am I, is the volunteer checking the the foster parents home? Is that what you're saying? Yes. So foster parent or parent, because guardian okay. item can be for children if I'm taken away. So if I take away one of your kids and you're trying to get them back and I allow you to have placement but with visitation, the state comes in and we assess. You have to do an assessment of the home. You have to do a home visit is what they call it. So when you do the home visit, I'm coming in, I'm, I'm friendly. So they send me in and they're like, okay, Denisha, look at the room. So I'm looking at the room. I'm checking, is there a toothbrush? I check and I'll ask the kids questions like, oh yeah, what time do you go to sleep? Or what time does mommy come home? Is it so, light outside so or is it dark outside? So that's the volunteer that's doing that. Correct. A volunteer does that. Yeah. Wow. That's I never knew that. I never knew that. Yeah. The volunteer can do that. And, and what's crazy is I remember when I first did my interview and the interviewer was speaking to me, she told me how she'd been doing it for 18 years. And she told me, I'll never forget, because she got so choked up. She's like, I've seen four of my kids get married. And she's like, to me, I have nine grandkids. Like her wow. children that she watched grow up in Garnet Let them went to go have kids. She went to their baby shower. She's been to graduation. So it's like, as long as you and the child are willing, you can be in that child's life forever mm -hmm. until they say, Jamari, I want to be my own man now. I want to be my own woman now. The road ends here. They say that, you can cut yourself off. But if they say, I want you here and you want to be there, you can do that. And that's what guardian item is. You can go to their, you go to school. I pulled report cards. Like the reason why it took me so long to talk to you tonight, I was pulling report cards, doing a report to send to the court for a judicial review where they talk about placement. They talk about your education. They talk about a child having a normal life. There's even a portion in the court document where it says normalcy. Like you want that child to believe, okay, I get it that these people keep calling me and I get it. I'm in the system, but I'm a kid. Yeah. Like yeah. kids that are in foster care don't think that. Kids that are in foster care don't really get to enjoy 
prom and getting their first, getting their hair laid and doing their nails and picking their first clothes for school. Like you don't get to do that. Like yeah. you don't get to put on your clothes and be like, dad, look at my clothes. They don't have that. So to have a volunteer come in and say, all right, Jamari, get in the car. I'm taking you to mall. Come on. You know, that little moment, like to me, that stuff is normal, but kids in foster care and kids who have been put into this system because of negligence, abuse, and often sexual abuse, they don't get to experience that. And the part that I just really hope, I really hope that people who listen to this, they get this part is that as a volunteer, you can change that. Because if you think that these things happen to children in their young bodies and the amount of trauma and the lack of emotional intelligence that happens to them in their adolescence, that's why we see so many adults right now that do not know how to function. Yeah. There's a gap there. They I'm, regress. I'm not going to lie. You, you, you're making me think, hmm, I never knew That's that. you all day. I, I never knew that. And I definitely want to look that up and definitely want the listeners, how would they go about becoming a volunteer uh it's called guardian For sure guardian litem yeah. <laughs> guardian ad litem so it's guardian then a d l i t e m and it's crazy because it's all over america you can be anywhere some I've, you states know, really call it. And I, watch i'm gonna see it everywhere now and i've never yeah. heard of that in my entire life but now i'm gonna see it and hear it everywhere yeah. now now i will it's insane like Talking about it, I get so worked up. Like my heart rate is over at ninety-six. <laughs> like you listen, you don't even know. Like when I started volunteering, and I was like, "Wow!" Prime example: I'm in the courtroom doing my observations. I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna explain this so I can explain how you get to, how you get into volunteering. Mm -hmm. So a part of volunteering, you have to have like your um, observation hours where you go to court and you just observe. So you have to you have to swear in. So they go, everyone that's not an attorney, raise your right hand. And they say, present yourself. So I'm in there back there like, oh. <laughs> I'm in there, this is big black man. He's on the dock and he's like, present yourself. And I'm like, Denise should hate his volunteer. Denise should hate his volunteer. And he's like, ma'am, <laughs> what's your name? I'm like, my name is Denisha Davis and I'm a volunteer for Garnet Lightham. He goes, I love Garnet Lightham. So then he lets all the people talk. And I'm watching, I'm not the guardian of this case, but I'm watching a case. Mm -hmm. And then um, he's like, uh, what's the recommendation of the state? The state gets a recommendation. And then the lady talks, she talks, and they say, the attorney, he must have been over. He goes, "What, uh, dad, what's your attorney? What's your attorney? And dad's talking. And then he goes, guardian, what do you think? He, he tells the attorney to be quiet. And he goes, guardian, come to the mic. What did you say? He has the, like, because the guardian, that's the goal of guardian at Light, and they say it where it says, I am for the child. Because you're a volunteer and you're doing it on your time and you're doing it for the child, the state values your recommendation. So there's been ample amount of times where my, the judge on my case would tell the attorneys, yeah, you're, you can stop talking. Guardian, what's your recommendation? Because wow. they know you, you're like the attorney, you work for the mom, you're on a retainer. Mm. Guardian for even I have an attorney. My attorney is through Garnet Lightham. Like I talk to her directly. So for every case that I have, there's an attorney. So if the father's attorney comes up to me and he's like, Oh, why did you recommend for supervision, supervised visits? 
the attorney is going to go, don't talk to her. You talk to me. That's how that goes because I'm a volunteer. I'm through their program. So you don't speak directly to the guardian. If you're not with Garnet Light, I mean, you're not the judge. Don't talk to me. I'm privileged. Like, <laughs> don't talk at all. So you are, who are you? So, you know, and when I got that, when I went into the courtroom and I did my first case, I got in the car and I just, I literally was bawling. Like I was crying tears of joy because I was like, my little girl didn't have to come to court. I went to court for her. She doesn't have to know the dirt that her mom did or her mom's going through drug court. You know what what I mean? Like I'm going to do that for her. I'm her voice. So when I signed up to be volunteer, all you have to do literally is sign up. They run your background check long as you long as you ain't got no, you know, no crazy charges. Mm-hmm. You know, you can volunteer. Like you can be a volunteer. And it's so crazy because you meet people that you never would think like, look at this little girl and all that she endured and she's seven. Like yeah. she doesn't even know how strong she is. She doesn't even know that she's accomplishing all these things. And it's like, look at this little person just be so strong. Mm -hmm. Like it makes you feel like I can do anything. And when I'm working with these kids and I'm talking to these kids, knowing what they went through and how much they don't allow it to tie them down, it's encouraging. And anyone can do it. You can be anything. Like parents who stay work from home, you, you being a teacher and the way that you motivate students, like how used to motivate us on the track and I remember when you were like our sub and you were telling the kids like, y'all can't be bums in here. Like you're telling us there's more, you were telling us that there's more outside of, outside of high school Yeah. and kids in the system need that because when you're in the system, you think that you're, you think that that's just your life. Mm-hmm. You, you don't see anything outside of that. You don't think that there's another, you don't even think there's another time zone. You don't even think that you can even make it to Alaska. Like you think, all right, bro, I'm just gonna be in Broward till I die. Mm-hmm. Like I've had kids tell me that. I've had a 17 year old boy look at me, show me his Instagram picture with a gun in his hand, and tell me I got nothing to lose. Wow. Like that's the youth today. Yeah. Like that's what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like if you have the time and you have the heart, volunteer. There's 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 nothing you can so much of the volunteer from these young people and they have so much to learn from you that's how that's how you you implement that change that's the way you change that flow everyone talks about the system and the cycle but we don't talk about how to change it love to identify the problem but it's very hard to be solution focused it's very hard to be problem solving like we're very oh i see the problem i see the problem this is the problem right left okay great purple i see green but let's talk about the solution how can we do better and volunteering is definitely on that list like first of all i'm having a proud moment right now i'm really i'm having a problem <laughs> right i really am why you since you were like what 16 16 <laughs> wow right 16 wow <laughs> Wow, I so literally I'm, I'm watching a full-fledged bird right now. <laughs> Tell me things <laughs> I've never known ever. That's what I love. I love that. So do, yeah. are there a lack of volunteers um, for guarding man item? Man, don't even start that. Because I'm, I'm asking that because it's, you know, 
I've never heard of it, right? So I've been yeah. ignorant of it for the last 38 you know, years of my entire life. So my thing is, is there a lack of volunteers? We need, we need more. We will need more. I'll throw this in there. Mm -hmm. I have a challenge for your listeners and the, whoever's going to listen to this. For the people that have their hashtag for hashtag BLM that support that, mm -hmm. if we can equate that the people that follow that hashtag into volunteers, we can wipe our hands of human trafficking. We can wipe our hands of violence within our own communities. We can wipe our hands of domestic violence. We can wipe our hands of sexual abuse. It would be on the double digit decline. And someone would really have to fight me to tell me any different than what I just said. Wow. That's how much people we need. If you go on any social media thread and you follow that thread and you see that it's 1.7 billion, 1.2 million on any site, if we took those people and trickled it down into volunteers, like clockwork. Mind you, being a volunteer, I'm only asking for six or eight, six or seven hours of your month. That's nothing. That's nothing. Right before I right before I did my report for the state, I was on the phone with my girl, my 17-year-old. I can't even, I can't even, I can't even. My 17-year-old, I was talking to her for 40 minutes. 40 minutes to talk to her. It took me 45 minutes to get on the phone with my supervisor from Guardian to do the report. That's what? Two hours. Mm -hmm. And then I'm done for the month of January until I call her on her birthday, until I go see her because I want to go see her and I'm doing more time. But I already checked off my obligation for the month. What did that cost you? So it's almost like that's where, that's where that fire came up when we had that last conversation. Mm -hmm. It's seeing people's activism on Facebook. Your post does not mean anything. You're just paying Mark Zuckerberg for his third <laughs> 30th beach house. Like you're 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 irritating me. It's, yeah. it's 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 irritating, you know? So it's like if we can get this social media traffic and turn everyone hit the pavement, we'll be talking about a whole nother planet here. Like and, and you brought that up in our last literally. conversation, because again, we all hear about human trafficking and I remember you saying it was, it's huge in Broward. Let me give you something right here. <clears throat> this is also from Guardian Atlanta. So I was, <laughs> so this month is actually national human trafficking awareness month. And each year in this country, more than a hundred thousand children are reported as victims of sexual exploitation or trafficking. And that's reported. Broward alone is a hot spot. Do you hear me? Hot spot. I have a little girl right now, 14 years old. She runs away every other day. Every other day. What did you do on New Year's? What did I do on New Year's? Yeah, what did you do when you were bringing in 2021? <laughs> woo, and it was 11.55. What were you doing? I was, I was at home with the family. Wow, let's be nice. I was calling an abuse report for my 15-year-old. Yeah, she's 15, she just turned 15 in November. My 15-year-old that ran away from home. She went to the Lauder Hill Mall, got picked up, spent the night with this man, made it to Miami Gardens, and that was from 11.57 all the way to 2.41 in the morning. That's what I did. Wow, so that's how you brought in the New Year's. On New Year's. 
I bawled in the air. Gave my husband a kiss real quick. I was like, yeah, okay, so we have, <laughs> you know, and he, and, and I remember it, it was crazy because I was on the phone and I got, I was getting, I was just getting so overworked and my mother-in-law walked by and she goes, dang, you still on the phone? Is your job 24 hours? <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, basically, you know, so human trafficking it's it's rapid and the problem is you have kids who are living in poverty that they're the easiest targets because you have a need and i can give it to you mm-hmm. that's how i get you the need even goes so small as i'm the pimp i'm the person that takes you and i look at you now i'm gonna say i'm the pimp and you're gonna be the girl so you're no longer all right i'm the pimp and here's jessica I'm like, Jessica, you look beautiful today. I love when you wear that dress. Okay, well, we'll need something to eat. We'll get you some new shoes. The only time Jessica feels beautiful is when I'm around. So what's Jessica going to want to do? Be around me all the time. You can be Daddy Jamari and be like, Jessica, please, please, please come home. You're not giving. That's even if the father's in the house. That's even if the father's in the life. It's even in her life. Human trafficking has so many factors in it, so many components where it's just like, how do you get these kids out? There's a demand. There's a demand that there's people who are paying to do these things to children. And there are people who are giving. And that's another thing. People think that human trafficking happens in a white van. No, it doesn't. And I'm going to ask you that. So what are, what are the different categories of human trafficking? So when I told you about the case of my 14-year-old, the main thing, because I'm still, I'm not even going to pretend like I'm captain human trafficking. I'm just rolling into it because I have two human ca- trafficking cases. Okay. Human trafficking normally starts with grooming. That's what I was talking to you about the whole, hey, Jessica, I like how you look and talking to you. Mm-hmm. And 99% of the time when you pull those girls out and you talk to them, it's a woman. It's a woman who put, these, the, girl, who put the girls there or boys. We think wow. human trafficking is only girls. Little boys, I'm going to talk about um, another station, so that's going to come up. But little boys are put into human trafficking as well. Like, this is, it, it's, we have this idea, we see these movies. And right before I go into a circle, and I, I don't want to feel like I'm going to a circle, let me also make this announcement. There's a show on the National Geographic Channel or History Channel, and it's called Traffic. There's an episode called Pimp. You would love it. You got to watch it. It's this lady. She's this journalist. She goes undercover she's, and she talks to people who are in this life. And she talks to pimps and she talks to girls who have been trafficked. Um, I just want to throw that out there so you can watch that episode. But human trafficking, it takes on many forms. And it literally, where you make the child feel like they need you, it's about a dependency. I need to feel like I need Jamari to eat. I need Jamari to feel beautiful. I need Jamari for these drugs that helps me deal with selling myself. Mm-hmm. So it's like, if you, and this is the, this is the pimps get out of jail free card is I'm not keeping you here. I'm not keeping, I'm not shut. I'm not, Denisha isn't chained down, but I keep coming back. Why? I need a place to live. I need a place to sleep. I need food. Mm-hmm. I want nice things. I want my hair done. It's not always drastic, but the human trafficking part of it is just the fact that it's abuse. It's abuse. And when you're doing it to children, Eight, eight, 17 and under. And to me, I think it should even be 17 and under. I think it's, it's a crime, period. But when you're doing it to children, period, 
I find that I struggle with it more when I know that there are parents who know about this who are selling their children. And people, I don't think people know how often that happens. It happens a lot. Happens in my own community. You like, you don't know it. It's happening. It's it, and it's it's like, I remember I was watching a show and they said the telltale signs when you're talking to a child, the child is not allowed to speak, but the dot always speaks. That's mm-hmm. always the first thing that they teach you in like trainings is that if you're my dad and and, and the doctor's asking me a question and you speak for me, or mm-hmm. when an authoritative person comes into the room and I'm kind of like dipping my head or the way that I carry myself. There's, there's, there's certain trainings and different things that you can look at to educate yourself more about human trafficking, but I would encourage every person that's listening to go go to your local community, town, you know, your, ta- your, your town meeting, or just a police station, or even look online if you don't even want to engage, but go look at the statistics in your community about human trafficking cases and how many that there are. There's more than we think. It's rampant in Broward. It's rampant. It's rampant in these low-income communities. Like, if you go to Franklin Park, it's not a game. It's not a game. I can go sell drugs and get caught. But if I sell a person, I'm making money back tenfold. It's a billion-dollar industry. Why sell drugs when I can sell a person? Mm. For what? That's a lot of information to take in. Yeah, and, it's, it's, and, it's crazy. You're and right. You know, the crazy thing is we do get one perspective of human trafficking, right? We get the, the perspective, what was it? Was it a movie called Traffic? Yeah, it was called Traffic. Um, you get the foreigners coming in, rounding up some girls in a semi-truck and driving them away and then putting in these sex rooms, I guess. Mm-hmm. That's what we see, right? We don't, mm-hmm. we don't see all the other um, boys being a part of human trafficking. They said black, young black girls and young black boys are the number one when it comes to human trafficking. I just, it, I always, I gotta watch myself whenever I talk about, um, I have to watch myself because I get really, really into it when I talk about young boys and how they're not protected and how they're expected to grow and be these men and no one raised them to do that. You have a like you have men in America today that were raised solely by women. Solely by women mm-hmm. where they lack emotional intelligence. You're, you're stepping into the into emotional- that realm definitely. <laughs> definitely that realm that I've been telling people about. You know, you have a lot of women raising men or trying to raise boys into men and they themselves don't have a point of reference of what a man actually is because they themselves wasn't raised by man. Um, so you raise right. these little boys and you know, you see it where the mom knows that he's bringing in money because she needs help. She needs help paying some of the bills and now he's bringing in money and she doesn't ask or care where the money's coming from. She knows he doesn't have a job. But where's he bringing the money? You know, where's he getting the money? And I think that's a major problem. And I see it all the time. It's that slippery slope where the mother knows that, you know, he's getting it from some, you know, nefarious acts. And but the bills need to be paid. And it, and and him bringing in money kind of alleviates the pressure of her working so much. I just, whenever I get to the point I'm thinking about it, it's like. These, 
these little boys are raised without fathers. So to me, a lot of times when I'm talking to people, because I, I, when I did my undergrad at FAU, and I would take my social work classes, boy, them girls used to come for me, because they were being there talking, and you know, you know, um, social justice, what's going on? Did you see the news? And Trump has cages. I said the number one issue in America. About it, I don't want to talk because if you don't go and look at the effects of not having a man in the house, and and the effects that it has on building that man and what men turn out to be in America, and not, you're not playing with me. If you're not going to go look at those statistics, I'm not going to have the conversation because prime example, Franklin Park. Franklin Park is the poorest county in, in Broward County. Mm-hmm. Why? 90% of those homes in there are single mothers. And what can you do to a, ch- uh, what, can, what is the worst thing you can do to a young black boy in America? Raise him without his father. So, but what, but, but now let's go back into this conversation. We talk about the system, right? The system is your daddy. The system gives you a food voucher. The system pays for you to live. Franklin Park is so poor. And with that poverty line and people living below the poverty line, you have these young boys that are what? Raised in poverty. So what do they know? What do they know? If they don't have a teacher like you, if the educational, if the educational system is not giving them what they need and they only have the view of Franklin Park, where they're going to think, I'm going to get it how I live, right? So now when you have that boy and you trace him back 30 years from now and then you talking to him in jail, you're doing the interview, talk back to his life. What does he talk about? Oh, yeah, this is my life. This was my mom. My mom raising my grandma was there. Yeah, but there was this one time, what? Sexual abuse. Yeah, yeah. Now we're talking about... <laughs> I can't tell you how many research papers I've written. When you go back to people who've committed egregious crimes, those crimes are like, wow, you did that? And you you trace it back sexual abuse. Where does you know, it happen? Listen, in the home? and that's big as a parent. I talk with I talk with a lot of people about this. Um, even when you know when I had my daughters for the first time, how vigilant a dad is, right? How cognizant I am about where my kids are. I don't let my my daughters mm-hmm. just go sleep at somebody's house. Mm-hmm. You have to really protect them because. A lot of times, sexual abuse happens within family members, cousins, kids are at a party, parents are in the living room, kids are in the back, things happen, right? Not under my watch. Yeah. Um, because you always have to be aware of your kids. And when you yeah. are, when kids are growing up in a single parent household and a mother is constantly working, who is supervising these kids? And sometimes it's the older yeah. cousin that's supervising them and the older cousin's freaking 12 years old or 16 years old, that's when abuse happens. I mean, I think that's yeah. one of the things that then within our community that we have to really pay attention to is the kids need to be protected, especially young, um, young black boys and young black girls to end a cycle, to stop something from happening. 90% of, like you said, 90% of uh, the families of Franklin part of single parent households. How do you stop that cycle? Mm-hmm. Right. You have to you have to really get to the the young men at a very young age and you have to teach them how to be men uh, and how to be protectors of your, you know, your community. And I think that's one of the things that we mess up in is we think that especially this comes from from I think that it comes from women that didn't have a, a, a father in their life. They all, they, they want to associate mm-hmm. a man with money, 
You're the provider. You bring in the money. No. Oh, yeah. No, not necessarily. The man is the protector first. He provides the protection. The entire unit um, provides the economic aspect of, of maintaining a family. It's not just one man that's doing it. It's not just the mom that's doing it. It's everybody that's within that village. Um, and that's what we, that's what we kind of felt, you know, we fell from, we don't have that village. Anymore, oh, that's not there anymore. No. Right? And, 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 and it's no. not a cultural thing as far as just um, uh, African-American or black American thing. It is a, an, it's an American thing within itself because what happened is the primary unit of a family or the nucleus of a family is the mom and the dad, right? Uh, grandma, grandma, oh, yeah. somewhere else, <laughs> you know, uh, we put them in home. <laughs> <laughs> we try to get away from the old people as, as much as we can. And aunties and uncles, they can be in other states. And so you don't have yeah. a nucleus anymore. And the people that are helping raise your kids are is the educational system. That's who's raising your kids. The educational system is predominantly raising your kids. And so it's a good segue as we, you know, get into, you know, COVID-19 is now parents Mm -hmm. are realizing how big of an impact educators are. And educators are realizing, hey, y'all just see us as babysitters, not educators, right? Yeah. Um, and, And that's the biggest problem. Or, or, or we need y'all to teach our kids. You need y'all. No, you need to teach your kids. It starts, it begins at the home. You know, an educator is a person yeah. that's supposed to guide your, your child to information, assist them in learning. But you can't mm-hmm. make a kid learn if they don't want to learn. You know? Right. And, and also the, the school's not going to teach you those core values. Like, mm-hmm. again, that's why I referred to before about the, the emotional intelligence, like for example, when you have that, and it's something that I cannot stand hearing parents say, quit crying if I give you something to cry about. Why is that okay to say that to your child? You gotta, y'all gotta leave that. Like it, and the, the part, the problem is that people, like people don't even know how to deal with their own emotional. So you, you, you raise these hypersensitive people and let's go down that route again about men. And then when you roll into this situation where they're not able to function in society and they're having these situations, that's not the system. You did that. You raised your son that way. He does not know how to deal with his emotions. So if here I am and I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm Johnny and Jamari looked at me crazy. Instead of saying like, bro, you good? Like, you sh- Jamari, do you have a problem? I'm dealing with my emotions. I'm going to come up. I'm going to shoot you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We watch the news. It happens. It's real life. So it's almost like the school is not going to teach you that. But at the same time, it's like, who taught those parents that? So now we roll into the, we roll into that thing where it's kind of like, okay, how can we change that now that when will parents know better? Or now that you didn't know that information, you know it now, how can we do better? And I say this, and, and, and this is what I learned as a parent is it requires uh-huh. a lot of introspection every single day every single mm-hmm. day when i'm talking to my kids uh if my son is trying to get my attention if i come home from work i have to be cognizant at that moment and say to myself and i do it all the time like he's telling me a story or he's rapping i immediately stop whatever i'm doing and i look directly at him and i give him his soapbox i let him 
do his rap, tell me his story, because I realized, one, they're not going to always seek your attention. They're going to get to a point where Mm -hmm. they want to do their own thing. And it's it's okay for you to give up five minutes, 10 minutes, because that's all they want. But it requires that introspection to say, hold on, what's more important, watching this basketball game or having this moment with my, my child? Because although it may not be big for you, for them, mm-hmm. it's huge. It's huge. And it's yeah. an everyday thing. It's an everyday thing. And as you alluded mm-hmm. to when you said, don't cry or I'll give you something to cry about. These are things yeah. that when you say it, because your parents said it. So this is what we do. We say things because our parents said things. And even though as our parents mm-hmm. are saying these things, we told ourselves we're not going to be like our parents. You are because these are the things that they can yeah. condition you with. And only when you become aware mm-hmm. of that conditioning and say to yourself, why am I saying this to my kid? Or why am I saying this to this person? Do you realize you don't truly have a true understanding of why you're saying it. It's just been said to you and you just regurgitate it and, and your kid will do the same thing. But then, like I said, go back to being introspective and saying, why am I saying this? And what is this actually saying? to my child Correct. what is this actually saying to this person and then how is it making this person feel so you also have to go back to when you were a child and that was said to you how did it make you feel okay right. and then when you identify man I, that didn't feel good when that was said to me so then why would I say it and repeat it to my child yeah. that requires let me tell you my wife had so many conversations on how we're going to raise our kids or if i say something that i feel is not appropriate and it's about how you want to raise your kids so if i feel that yelling at them or you know saying something to them that i feel is not appropriate or conducive for their success then i have to go back and apologize to my kids you oh you deserve a reward that is something that I feel like parents really need to acknowledge, like you need to be able to apologize to your kids. Yes. Like it is for their, it's for their development. Like you, you can't do that. Like you You, cannot do that. You have to acknowledge, you know, that you're flawed. And I, I tell, I tell my students as well, before your kids recognize that you're flawed, you know, the thing that I tell people is don't, Learn just for yourself. Learn for the people that you're speaking to. Learn for your kids. Learn for people that's in your family. Mm-hmm. Learn for people that is going to reach out to you that you don't even know that want your help. They see something in you and say, yeah. this person has information. Man, let me speak to them. Learn for those people. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the part that you don't want to happen is, is when your kid looks to you for help or guidance and you don't have the information or you're too prideful or your ego gets in the way. And now they recognize because now they're 11, they're 10, they're eight. Some kids recognize yeah. when they're six years old that, Hey, my parents are stupid. <laughs> they don't know anything. <laughs> they're wrong. And yeah. it happens. It's like, yo, my parents don't know anything. You know, there are times when your parents will tell you that they told you something and you like, you definitely did not tell me that. You call me a liar? Like, I, I, I'm not calling you a liar, but 
you didn't tell me but that. But you didn't tell me that. 100% sure that they didn't tell you that. And now they try to get yeah. you into that corner of calling your parent. Are you calling me a liar? You're like, oh, my goodness. And it's something that has been taught. And, and, and when you have that and you don't have many points of references of, and that's why I hate that, that terminology of, uh, you know, or a real man does this or a real woman does this. And then you go find out that person doesn't have a, a father in their life or doesn't have a mother in their life. It's like, what is yeah. your point of reference? What is your point of reference? And you know what, you, you know, what's crazy about even you mentioned the point of reference where it's like, let's put it this way. You're here's a single mom raising two sons. Her point of reference. It's not existent on top of that, but it's like, you weren't raised with your father. I understand that. And now your baby daddy is absent. You really don't have a point of reference. Like, look who you chose. Exactly. Look who you chose. Exactly. And you know what? And you know what gets a lot of slack for this? Because I say all the time, people look at me like I'm crazy. How someone has one child and they know they can't afford it. And <laughs> the man. Do <laughs> don't do it to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do it for the next time. I already told you last week, I'm not afraid to cancel culture, okay? They can't cancel nothing around here. So. You know, and let me, <laughs> let me, let me. So I'll give you an example. Um, you soften it for them. Go ahead. I was having a conversation with a person and this person probably ended up hearing this podcast, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so oh, me. he asked me. Um, she's dealing with a situation with not her baby's mm -hmm. father, but a boyfriend and, and asked me, how could she get through the situation? So, you know, me, I go and approach her behavior, not the situation. Cause I'm like, the situation is going to happen again because you are still demonstrating the same behavior. If a woman has two kids, two baby daddies, and then you're on your third boyfriend. And I say, what do you think is going to happen? Like, for real, what do you think is going to happen? So you want me to deal with this situation that you're currently going through, right? But I want to deal with the actual behavior that's leading you to these situations. Yes. yes. And, and that's the problem. So, of course, she gets a little, you know how I talk. You know, I don't, I don't sugarcoat yeah, anything. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I'm like, you got to understand what's happening here. Yeah, I can help you with the situation, but it's going to occur again. I said, how many boyfriends have you had? What's your oldest child's age? Obviously, like four or five. Now, how many boyfriends have you had since you've had your, your, your oldest child, your son? Um, two. I said, you're lying because you're, you're dealing with a baby daddy right now. And I know of another one. So it's four within the last four or five years, you've had a different man, right? You don't, and that's what I say. I say, so you don't see anything wrong with that? Oh, you're judging my character. No, I asked you a question. Hold on. I asked you a question. I'm not judging it. I'm asking you, do you see something wrong with that? Not if I see something mm -hmm. wrong with that. Do you see something wrong with that behavior? You have to be honest with yourself because I can care less. I told her I can care less about that situation yeah. because it's not my situation. I can be completely mm -hmm. objective in the situation for you, but you have to identify the behavior. 
Right. Or these kids are going to suffer because your son is going to see, and I keep telling people this, this is what happens in households. If your son sees men coming in and out of your life, Denisha, you 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 trying to you about to bring it out of me. I'm trying to I'm trying not to get there right now. Let me have it. So Come I'm on. gonna say this and I will stop. Um, okay, let me drink my water. But if if a if a man, because what I'm saying is this, there are a lot of men out there that hate women. They're misogynistic. Now they may love sex, but that doesn't mean that you love women. You you follow me? And so what happens is they don't have a any man that can degrade women with you know terms and say, okay, all women are this or all women are that. Then you have to ask yourself, you're throwing your mom in there, you're throwing your sisters in there, you're throwing your aunties in there. That means in your life you didn't have any real female role models. So you actually don't like women. And I tell women this, and I tell men this, that it comes from one, a man seeing his mom having different men in the house all the time. The daughter seeing her mother have different men come in the household all the time. They will demonstrate that behavior Mm -hmm. later in life. It's not complicated. It's very simple. I wouldn't even, listen to me, Denise, I wouldn't even talk to a girl that had a kid. And if I did, I did not meet her kid. Like, oh, no, I don't want to. Not because I'm not feeling you. It's because I don't know if this is going to last and I don't want to develop a relationship with that kid. And it don't last. And now that kid's looking like, yo, what happened to Jamari? Mm -hmm. Men do this. And men do this and they, they use kids as pawns to get to the woman. Like clockwork. And women fall for it every time. I'm very, I don't know. I don't know. And so to come back full circle, to come back full circle, this is the danger, Denisha. The danger is Mm -hmm. this. Why are you bringing strange men around your daughters? I'll wait. Because these are the same type of men that come in. Stare at each other. Huh? I said, let's both ask good questions and stare at each other. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, you know what? Your, the, everything that you're doing in social work stems from these type of broken families. Yes. Right? And so if ha- you can begin to mend back the nucleus of the family um, and, and make people more conscious of their behavior as far as how they treat their kids and who they have kids with and and I tell people this all the time. Me and my wife came together um, and decided how we were going to raise our kids. Like we actually had conversations about mm-hmm. wh- how we were going to reward and punish our kids, and we still haven't figured it out because our you know our kids are spoiled as hell. You know, it out. You know, I just told her we're we're making a uh, 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 we call it the Skittles the Skittles jar. It's like it's a punishment jar, but you want to call it like a punishment jar, right? It's so it's an actual. Hey, you got to go to the Skittles, ah. right? And inside that is going to be like you know no Wi-Fi for a month, no whatever, right? Um, and, you know, oh, you make them close eyes and they got to pick it out. And, you know, they pick it out and they open the slip up 
and okay, now today you got to go run a mile. And I know one of my daughters don't like to run, so she's going to hate that. Right. And we try to create different ways because obviously um, growing up in, you know, a black community, we're used to getting our, you know, we used to getting our butts whooped. And we decided that that's something that we didn't want to partake in because, um, you know, you, you, if you go back and we don't got to bring this up in this episode, but you go back, you know, where this stuff comes from beating your kids and stuff like that is, um, and, and, you know, one time I realized, I remember I was going to pop my son on his hand. Cause he came, his sister came in and said, you know, Jamari hit me. And I said, boy, give me a hand. Cause that's, you know, that's how, you know, that's what you're supposed to do. Boy, give me a hand. And yeah. before I was going to pop him for popping his sister, I realized what sense does that make to tell him not to hit anybody and then hit him? Yeah, I'm hitting him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It didn't make any sense to me. I'm like, you know what? Okay. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. And you, you start to realize those things. and in order for your job to be easier, we got to make people more cognizant of, of what's really going on. We got to get more volunteers out there to people that are doing a lot of positive things in the community. One thing that I say is a lot of people that are, have great careers, you don't really see them in, in certain aspects of the community. Like you'll see basketball players come out to the schools and, and in football players come out to the school, but where are, all the other career fields and talking to the people of, of things that they can get into, you know? I, I think that's really where my, you know, <laughs> listen, I, this is like a, this is a, this conversation me are having is like a date night for me and my husband. Like we talk about this stuff like all the time. <laughs> like we are con- like, you should, I'm telling you, you should see my husband's Facebook page. Like, the way they tried to cancel my buddy, like they really become friends. So honestly, like y'all don't want to, y'all don't want to see me. So it's okay. But you know, what you're saying is absolutely correct. And that's where I get so frustrated because I'm saying, you know, with the athlete aspect of it and those people in those lives, we really act like we're, it's this false humility. It's this, I made this post. So mm, I did my duty and I'm looking down on you. You made a post. That is, yeah. it, it equates to nothing. You know, you wrote a check. Yeah, you wrote a check is so you don't get taxed on it. Like you, ha- like you have these rich people who do those things, but it's like the quality time and the mentorship and the I'm going to walk alongside you. Yeah, that's, that's what these children need. That's what people need. I Like, well, actually, I'll take the check. So if someone <laughs> wrote me a check, maybe I'll take it. But in all, you know, in, in, in light of what every... And all what I'm saying is, it, it's, it's more than that. You got to do more. You have to do more. And that's the problem. Yeah, that's the point that I was making is that we act like we don't know that we, like that's not our being. We're selfish people. So if I'm a doctor and I'm making it, I ain't worrying about Jamari and his and his poverty rate over in Franklin Park. No, I'm here. I like how you I'm here living all here in camera. Throw my name. I know, I keep throwing you. I'm sorry, Joe. You know, throwing my name all up. I'm, now, I'm in, now I'm in Franklin. Um, no, you were you at Franklin Park. You just poor. Park. You part of thirty eight percent. Denisha, I realize. See, I we're gonna have to do more than one. We're gonna have to do. I'm gonna bring you back on again. Yeah, definitely gonna have to keep doing this. Uh, but because yeah, I sure. wanted to get into, and we'll talk about that next time. 
because I see you're extremely mm-hmm. passionate and it, it makes me smile. Um, you're extremely passionate about what you do, which is rare to see people so passionate about, you know, helping people, especially in, in, in this, you know, social media age. Everybody wants to pretend to yeah. be caring, but not a lot of people are actually doing actual things to demonstrate that. Um, so I wanted yeah. to get into later on is when are you going to put your your nonprofit or business together to help the people? When are you going to, because uh, we talked about this now, uh, get your blog. I know we did. There's a lot of information that I think you said that I didn't even know. And I think a lot of people don't know. And I think your mm-hmm. voice could be one of the voices that can lead people to this information so that they can help more people. They can volunteer their time. Like you said, it's, it's not a lot of time, right? You can volunteer right. as much or as little, but I think any time with some of these kids that feel like no one cares is a lot of time. And and you see that. Yeah. Um, and I think that's very powerful. And I'm now, since I'm aware of it, now I have to, have to do something myself. Yeah, I'll definitely send you um, the link for Garden at Lightem. So when you do like your description stuff, you can kind of have it there for people to see. And it's so funny you're talking about that. It's because part of the call that I had with my 16 year old, you know, she's currently in a group home. And it's like, although the state knows, and it's like a common thing where we know oh, that group home is bad, that group home is bad, and these locations are bad. The state has nowhere to put them. We have nowhere to put them. So they have to go there. So literally, I bust into the bathroom. My husband's taking a shower. I'm like, we got to open a group home. We're going to name it this. He's like, I'm taking a shower. (laughs) (laughs) So, but the bathroom is like our think place. So, you know, he was like, okay, babe, write it down. We're going to talk about it after your podcast. So that's probably going to be like a car ride conversation tomorrow or something. But no, for sure. I definitely do want to like open something and like, help these families and help these people because it's all about reframing because I easily could have said I endured my own abuse I endured my own assault I endured my own homelessness and that's my experience I'm gonna keep it moving I could have easily been that way but to know that you've been through something and you're looking at somebody you're going hmm I can sit here and tell you things that happened to me and my dude should stop playing Mm -hmm. that's me but if I can look at someone else and say if I look like this and people don't know what I've been through, what did that little girl go through? What did that boy go through? Yeah, this man is yelling at his daughter, but what did he go through? So when you start to mm-hmm. look past yourself and you're trying to say, exactly. to get out, you get out your own head. Like, I don't even have time to process what I'm going through because I'm, I'm over here. You, here's a question. Have you ever made a missing flyer for someone before? No, never in my entire life. Okay. Okay. Well, okay. So, yeah. Okay. I hope that's so. what I'm doing on New Year's. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm doing on New Year's, and that's what I'm trying to help a mom through. I, like, you've ever had a parent on the phone, like, boo hoo crying, saying, Miss Nisha, I don't know what to do? Like, that is, I remember me, someone, me and a, a father, I think it was at, on, on the basketball court, we were talking about that's the worst mm-hmm. thing that a parent can go through. The worst thing I think a parent can go through is not knowing where your kid is not knowing if they're dead or alive. That is the worst thing that a parent can go through. Um, yeah, man. Yeah, I can't, I don't even want to imagine it. I had a conversation with my kids and I actually texted them all this morning too. Um, 
I was upset, upset with him yesterday. And I was telling him, you don't understand how blessed you are. Like, mm-hmm. you take everything for granted because you just have it. You just have it. Your, your father protects you, you, you know. Um, you don't know what it feels like to go unprotected. You don't know yeah. what that feels like. You have a father that's always telling you that he loves you. You don't know what it feels like to have someone not say that to you, right? Yeah. And so I'm like, I need to put you guys in spaces where you need to be able to see people that want what you have. They'll just be satisfied if their parent is just there. They don't need anything from their parent. Yeah. Just be there. And I think that's what you really opened my eyes on today is like, okay, I was able to do very well um, for my kids and, and continue to do very well for them. Who can I do very well for that's not my kids? You know, who else can I, mm-hmm. who, who else can I help? Right. Cause that's what it's about mm-hmm. helping other human beings and especially kids, man, kids, when you get to a certain age, you choose poverty. I know it sounds controversial, but you choose poverty. Like people choose to be broke. Grown people choose. And I say this because it's based on all the decisions that you made in your life that lead you to a particular path. But kids are the exception to that rule because they are born into something. They don't ask for what the parent, their parents, and they have to cope and deal with whatever is given to them, you know? And a lot of those things, as you said, affects them down uh, down the line and as you said you like you know you see the the father yelling at the kid but why is he yelling at the kid like why is he speaking to him? what trauma did he go through for him to be yelling at that kid like that right and then you got to identify what he's going through. he has to hopefully get to a point where he evaluates himself and says why do i yell at them like that mm-hmm. and i think that's hard for a lot of people it, it's, it goes back to what you said when you said, you know, your son's asking for that five minutes. I remember I saw a post from this mom that I'm following and she said, um, is, a, is a clean house really that important? And she was given an idea where it was like the child spilled something and she was about to go off. And she was like, she had that moment where she stepped back. She goes, I'm going to go off for five minutes and, and it's going to be over for me. But what I say to this child is going to affect them for 20 years. Yeah. Like, that's what that's like. It is. And it's like, to think about that, I'm like, my husband and I, we're not parents yet, but I, it's so crazy. I was raised with my parents in my life, my entire life. I can call my dad. I can email my dad. I can get a calling card and be like, hey, daddy, where are you? I can call. Mm-hmm. My, fa- my husband wasn't raised with his father. Mm-hmm. So he was raised by just his mom. Like, I remember... I have to catch myself so I don't do what I'm, what I'm trying to do. When I started dating my husband at the time and he had a job interview and I'll never forget, he was about to get up. And at the time his stepdad was a teacher and he's like, Oh no, I gotta go do something real quick. And he goes out the room and he asks his dad to help him tie a tie. And I literally started, I'm in the room crying my eyes out because I'm like, for your 20 I'm 21, so you're 22 and you can't tie a tie. That's just uh, on the surface level what you didn't get. Can you imagine the development of like not having that 
father moment, going to the store, picking yeah. out clothes, having conversation, having your dad tell you that he loves you. Yeah. And it's kind of like, we don't think about these things, but I'm going to lay down with this man and then just whatever happens, happens. Mm-hmm. That's just it. And we just going to chuck it up to Pokemon cards. It's gonna, I, I choose you. Whatever comes out, comes out. Like, no. <laughs> I just, and that's why it infuriates me. And that's, and that's where my passion comes from because I know that it's a lot right now, but this is all preventative. Every, every single last piece of it. This isn't the eight, this isn't the 1800s anymore. You know, like being that that was my husband's situation. He now knows I'm never going to leave my wife with, a, with children. Like that, like that's a, that's a, that's like an oath. That's like a covenant he has. What's the difference between him and the other men that were raised without their fathers? Why are they making those other decisions? You made another point about choosing poverty. We went to Blaze Pizza on Sunday night, and there was this young, oh, I love dark-skinned people. My husband's so dark, he's so cute. So there's this young, dark-skinned little kid at the, at, at the front, and my husband came in with his uniform, and then, you know, he asked my husband what his rank was and everything. And then he tells my husband he's going off to, to the military. And he tells him, oh yeah, I have to be in the reserves. And then when I come back, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be active duty. And my husband goes, well, why did, the rec- why did the recruiter tell you that? He's like, oh, I have, a, I have a son. I stepped back and I was like, wow. And I'm thinking in my mind, he went to Dillard. Mm-hmm. He could have easily jumped off the porch. Why isn't he a drug dealer? Yeah. You're not going to tell him he's not a product of his community. Why didn't he go do that? What was he doing? He's at Blaze Pizza, serving pizza and mm-hmm. going off to the military to do what? Give his child a better life. I'll wait. What's the difference? We have choices to make in our life. We can't fully put that on another person. Once you know better, you got to do better. So who's to blame after that? Yeah. Yeah. We can, and you know, we and, and I always say this, you know, you always have your outliers, you always have your exceptions to the rules. Um, one thing that, and I'm not going to get too f- far into it, but one thing we know, conditioning is real from when a child is being um, raised to the level of attention that he receives from his mom, his family, all these things really play a part into a, a child's development, right? And you do have those those people that just I don't want to say they're special, but they just they just think that there's something different in there. And for some reason, they find that little crevice that they can they can sneak out and they get out. And my father was the same way. Cause my father grew up in West Perrine. and um, you compare my father to what the rest of his family. It's like, dude, how did you how did you how did you come from this place? Right? He found his his moment. Right. My, my father was in love with animals, catch hawks and stuff. He was like a weird kid. <laughs> and, 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 and that was his thing. So that was the way that he could be himself among people that was trying to make everybody be the same. Um, and so I don't know what it is. Uh, people follow the crowd. You've seen it uh, at the Capitol uh, building. People follow. Crowd. I don't want to talk about it. No, I we're not because I, well, I don't know how long it. we're into that. I'm about to break this thing up. It's like a thousand hold parts. On, hold on. Let me tell I, I told you I was going to address this. I want to not. Okay, I got to just let me say it. Right, I'm going to let you say it. So, and it is 11.23 p.m. I want everybody to know <laughs> that this is not an ordinary podcast done during the day. It is 11.23 p.m. And she, and she still wants to go in. So let's go. <laughs> I still got play. Okay, let me check with Woody. He said I still got time. 
Um, and you know, whenever Tanisha can never be ordinary. So I was talking to my husband again, and he showed me that they're offering rewards for people to give information about the people who are on capital. Mm-hmm. Rewards in English, layman's terms, snitching, right? Okay. All of a sudden, snitching is accepted in the black community. And I'm very confused because where is that energy when the molester is in your house? If the person that molested you, you have to come home and see them every Christmas, every 4th of July, every Mother's Day, every Father's Day, every grandma and auntie's birthday. Why? Are, oh, oh, are you on mute? For some reason, I think you can't hear me. What? Oh, <laughs> I'm confused. I'm confused. No, no, no. I'm going to hit you with, with the, 20, the 20, 2012, Denisha. Mr. Clarenton, I need an answer. <laughs> Don't play with me. I just want to know where's the energy. That's not fair. You can't do that. that that's, and, and, and I'm going to bring the seriousness, the seriousness back because the molestation on young boys is rampant. And the reason it's rampant is because no one thinks it's happening. And child-on-child molestation is it's a thing. It's a That's thing. True. So when you brought up the cousin and you brought up mama, let me give you another example. You got the mom, the single mom, who wants to go to um, happy hour at Euro on ladies' night on Thursday night. I used to be there in 2014. <laughs> you let your cousin watch your children. And now you wonder why your daughter doesn't talk anymore. All of a sudden, she's weird. Why you don't talk around? Why you don't speak around family coming around? Why you don't speak? That's another thing. Let me be for real. Parents have to stop telling their children stranger danger because stranger danger, that's from 1889. You need to tell your children what's safe and unsafe, what's proper and improper touch. The first time your children can speak, they should be able to say, no, I don't like it. No, I don't like it. Those exact words. So in that moment where you notice a shift in your child, it's not, oh, fix your face. Mm-hmm. There's, you should you should be able to look at your child and be like, why did you act weird whenever? Hold up. Are you paying attention? You can name me all of the Kardashian kids and all their cousins, but you can't tell me if your daughter's acting different because someone touched her. You want your bills paid that bad that you're going to have that boyfriend in the house and it doesn't matter? I just need an answer. I'm telling you this because I've seen this. I've lived this. I've wrote this. This is real life. People do this. They know that the person in the house has molested their child and mom is the word. That's strange. And I have to come to the family function every Thanksgiving and see my molester there. I'm confused. Mm-hmm. Is there a map in here? I need a map. Where's Dora? Cause I'm the explorer. Listen, listen. <laughs> I got more for you, so let's cut the video. I know you do. I, I know you do. <laughs> I know you do. So what we're going to do is going to wrap this one up, okay? Let's wrap it up, um, guys. The next time she comes on here, she's definitely going to have her own website. She's definitely going to have a place you guys can go. Um, or I'm just not going to bring her back on. I'm just not going to bring her back I know. I know. Don't. I know. Put me... You know, so I got to put that pressure on her. Um, where, where is that place that um, you say Guardian Ad Litem, right? Guardian Correct, Ad Correct, yeah. Um, look at that. See that? I'm learning. Um, where yes. do we go? Yeah. Do we just go in Google, type in Guardian Ad Litem? Um, where do we go again? 
Yeah. So that's okay. Let me clarify from what I said before. So it's guardian ad litem. It's what it's called in Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe it's all over, it's all over America, but some states call it CASA. But no matter what, if you look up guardian ad litem there and you put in your zip code, they'll show you where you can go. Um, that's for volunteers. You can look into that and see everything. If you're a donor and you have funds, you want to donate. If you have a crib, desk, computers, if you want to teach a, 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 a cooking class, those type of things, it's so much opportunities. Another place I also mentioned was SOS Children's Village. I only know about the Coconut Creek location, but I believe it's also nationwide. Um, another place I want to really shout out and really bring attention to is Jack and Jill's Children's Center. It's down on Broward Broward on Broward Directions, but it's downtown right across the street from the Fort Lauderdale Police Department. Yeah, I heard of that one. They have a lot. They have so much services for parents. They teach a parent strengthening class. They do resumes for parents. They help parents with their own emotional intelligence and social dis- um, conscious discipline. I definitely want to talk about that. That is huge, huge, huge for parents and just huge for any human relationship. Um, yeah, I would definitely just start off with those three things and especially volunteering and just getting into those type of places. You will definitely meet some families and some really cute, adorable, chunky kids that would love to see you. They'll remember your name. And just get out there, guys. Like, if you take anything away that I said today, you like or disagree, I want you to know that volunteering is the only way to implement a wrench in that change that you want to see. That's that. Wow. I like that. Look yeah. at you. Look at you. All growing up over there. I'm trying. <laughs> I know. All right, I'm Denisha, trying. I appreciate you coming on. Um, okay. And we'll talk soon. Okay, bye, friends. Hey guys, I just want to give you a quick thanks for listening in and I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Um, Some of you know I've been extremely busy working on a lot of great things that I will be sharing with you all in a future podcast. So I appreciate your support. Keep listening in and I'll talk to you soon. You've been listening to the Ultimate Freedom Podcast with Jamare Clarington. You can follow him at I am Jay Clarington on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Download and follow the channel on the Podbean app to leave comments, receive exclusive information on upcoming shows and events. And while you're at it, check out IamJClarington.com for additional content. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good evening. Good evening. And good night.